We find it a privilege to be here in Midland Park this morning and uh, enjoyed the fellowship with the believers this morning around the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one thing we would like to thank you is for your prayers for us and the, uh, your support for us in the work that is going on there in El Salvador. Um, many times we have felt the prayers of the saints have held us up and keep us going in times of trial and in times of when the going gets tough. It seems like there's always something there that's pushing us and keeping us going and trying to strive to do what's right. And we believe it's the prayers of the believers that are uh, bringing our names up before the throne of grace and uh, asking the Lord for help and guidance in our work there in El Salvador. So we kind of just come back to reconnect a little bit. We had, were commended to El, the work in El Salvador in 1992. I actually went down to El Salvador in 1969. I went down with my parents. I was nine years old at that time. And uh, my parents were missionaries there. They were the first missionaries to arrive in El Salvador. And uh, they were there for 35 years. And now dad has and mom have returned to Arkansas, Springdale, Arkansas, and are working amongst the Spanish there in Arkansas. We continue on in El Salvador, and uh, we also have two other missionary couples that are there with us, and that is Alan and Diana Clark, and also Kevin and Patty Flett, and they're also working with us in the work there. But before going into a little more of the work of El Salvador, I'd like to go over to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40, and uh, just read one verse there, verse 6, Psalm chapter 40 and verse 6, and I was just thinking of a little thought this morning of our ears. You know, we have one one mouth, we have one nose, we have two eyes, and we have two ears. So we should have double good sight, and we have should have double good hearing. And hopefully our ears are working properly, and we can hear properly the voice of our God speaking to us. But I'd like to read in Psalm chapter 40, and uh, we'll read there verse 6. It says... Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire mine ears. And notice it's plural. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. This is none other than the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who had his ears opened. Now I'd like to go back just a little minute to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. And we'll read just a little bit on the opening of the years. Exodus 21 and reading there at verse 2. It says, And if thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh 
he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he may go out by himself. He, he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master had given him a wife, and she hath borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself or alone. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him up to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, the ear that is opened, and he shall serve him forever or unto death. And may the Lord bless to us just the reading of this of his word. I was just thinking here of the law that the Egyptians had, or that the Israelites had, for those who were uh, uh, bought as slaves, and they had to work consecutively for six years. And it says, they shall serve for six years, and on the seventh year, he had to make a choice if he wanted to go out free. I kind of asked myself the question, after being in Christ... Most of us here probably have been longer in Christ than six years. If you had the opportunity to go, to leave, six years, the door's open, you may go. What would you do? What would you do? You know, this man had to come to a decision what am I going to do? I, I can go free, I can leave, enjoy freedom. Do what I want. But then he starts to think. What about my master? What about my wife? And what about my children? And I think the order is correct here. The first thing he thinks about is his master. That should be the first thing that should keep us here. It's the Master. The one who has brought us here. The one that has, has uh, uh, brought us into the fold. Our Master. And we should be the ones that out of, de- of our dearest appreciation of Him would want to serve Him until death doth come or the Lord Jesus Christ comes for His people. Until the end. That should be our desire. You know, these slaves, they were purchased. We have been purchased by a price, a high price, the price of blood. We were speaking in the gospel last night. We are talking about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, if God wanted to charge for salvation, how much do you believe He would, he, he would charge? What would be the cost that God could put on salvation for if you wanted to get saved and you wanted to be saved through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? What price could God put on salvation? Just the biggest number I could think of came into mind. A hundred million or a hundred billion dollars. None of us would have been able to get it. And yet, He's brought us in. He loved us. And He brought us in. And we're His children. And now, 
We are here to serve Him. Once we are on the inside, He wants to see our true devotion. Do we really love Him? He loves us. We have no doubt of that. But is it reciprocal? Do we love Him? The same way He loved us? He says the love that He had for the Father should be the love that we show amongst us. And He wants this love to be visible amongst us. And He says, I love my Master. And then what does He say? I love my wife. Who would the wife be? I was just thinking, you go over to the New Testament and you see uh, many times the life, the wife is represented in the church. His wife. The wife of Christ. Do we love the wife? Do we really appreciate what it is to be part of the church? To be in the assembly? To be in God's assembly? This, the the, the uh, identification that God has on earth at the present time with His people. Do we really enjoy it? Is it something that we really look forward to? We think when we get up uh, Wednesday, I don't know what, when is your weeknight meeting? Wednesday? Thursday. You get up Thursday morning and, and you're thinking, first thoughts that come to your, today's the prayer meeting and, and, and the Bible study. And then the Thursday night comes around, boy, I can't wait till Sunday. Huh? That's the way it should be. It's a real desire that we would have to show to Him, I love my wife. Not just the littlest things that come into our life and we decide, well, we can't make it to the gospel meeting tonight. We can't make it to the ministry meeting. Where's the love? That we show one toward another, our desire one toward another. And then he says, and I love my joy, I love my master, first of all. If that's not in place, none of the rest will be in place. You will never have a real appreciation for the assembly if you don't appreciate him. That's the first place where it starts. Once we can appreciate him and appreciate what he's done, then we can appreciate the assembly because this is the assembly of God's people. And then we have, and I love my children. Children. How many children in the faith do you have? Hmm? How many children? You could say, well, I have so many children in, in the flesh. Yeah, we have three boys. But how many children in the faith do you have? In the spiritual family? Have you been working on that? It's something that you have to get involved in and work at it. It doesn't just happen all by itself and all of a sudden we get lots of children. No. It's a matter of prayer and being before the Lord and asking Him for guidance and have a real desire for those who are not saved and go and speak to them about the gospel. And we have this opportunity to us every day to tell others. One young boy in El Salvador now, not long ago, his name's David, and he said, uh, Brother Craig, he says, he says, I'm going to quit school. He's probably 18 and just finishing up high school. And uh, he says, I'm going to quit school. And I said, David, why are you quitting school? Well, he says, I, I just want to be like you. I said, why is that? Well, you know, you got all the time. You can go out and preach, and then you, you can go, go work on, on uh, visitation, and, and, and then you, you dedicate other things to, that has to do with the Lord's work of building and, and, and projects. And he says, you, you just do it all. And he says, that's what I want to do. I said, David, just back up a minute. 
I said, you got an opportunity right now that I don't have. He said, what's that? I said, how many kids are in the school with you? Oh, there's about 300. I said, you sit with them every day in class. You're out to lunch with them. You go back into class again. You do studies with them. They come home to your house at night, sometimes to do projects. I said, you got a closeness to those kids that I don't have. I said, you have to take advantage of where you are and what God has given you right now. And then as the Lord opens up in the future, we'll see what the Lord has for you. But right now, stick to what God's given you. And He's given you 300 kids to evangelize. 300 kids. I think that's what our responsibility is. Is where we are, do what we can for the Lord. Take His Word. Share it with others. Whether it be in a track, whether it be in a phone call, whether it be messaging, whatever you want to do, but look for a form to be able to get in and contact and talk and speak and tell others of the love of Christ. I love my children. I watch the men down, down in Salvador that go fishing out in the ocean and uh, they just walk right along the, the beach. They're probably of the men that are poor. They don't have you know, a lot of equipment, but they do have a fishing net. And they walk along the beach, up and down, first thing in the morning, about 5 in the morning, 5.30, and you'll see them walking along. The, and all of a sudden they're walking, walking, and then all of a sudden they start going out into the water. And they put the net into their mouth as they grab one end of it, and then they're watching, watching, and they walk over, and finally this, the wave comes in, and they throw their net. And it's not a huge net, but it'd be probably at least 10 feet wide or 15 feet wide, and they throw this net. And then it's got a bunch of lead weights at the end, so it all comes together at the end. When he starts pulling it, it all starts coming together. And anything that was in that a wave that came across would be caught inside that net. And you know, when I watch those men and they're pulling that net back in, they're just hoping something's in that net. They've seen fish. That's why they're they're watching. You know, they, they can see them jumping in there. And they say, that's what I want. That's what I want to catch. And they're right ready to throw the net. But sometimes they pull that net back in and they get it all the way back in. And there wasn't a single fish in the net. All that work. And you know what they do? They just go down, walk down another 50 steps, go back out into the water again, and once again they're throwing the net. That's what it's all about, about fishing, is, is keeping at it. Not, well, I, I did, I tried, and it didn't work. Well, I, I just give up. You know, maybe I'm not good for this. Maybe I'm not a very good uh, fisherman. No, that's not what it's about. It's about sticking to it and, and keeping at it. And the Lord wants us to be fishers of men. And so He says unto them, I love my master. I love my wife. And I love my children. Would He leave? Never. Never. I will stay. I'll be willing to go to out to the post on the outside of the of the gates. And I will be willing that my master put all right through my ear. 
And I will identify myself with my master, my wife, and my children. I hope this will help us and encourage us. In the uh, days that the Lord has left us here, there's so much work to do. There's places that are dreadfully in need of help. You know, in El Salvador, we have, I was saying, three missionary families. You know how many Mormon missionaries are in El Salvador? 160 Mormon missionaries. We get drowned out. They're all over. The, the Jehovah Witnesses, they're at every doorstep. And yet we find it so hard for us to be able to let go of things that maybe we have. And go out in full-time dependence on the Lord. May the Lord exercise our hearts. You know, truly right now, the harvests are white. They're ready to come in. But the workers are few. May the Lord help us and encourage us in our hearts to be able to do the work that He wants us to do and where He wants us to do. Now, I'll just tell you a little bit on... The work going on down there in El Salvador. El Salvador, you know, is down uh, the bottom of, uh, or halfway down in Central America. You have to go all the way through Mexico. So you come down to the bottom of Texas. That's the lowest state. It's kind of got a point on the end of it. You come there to McAllen. Once you come to McAllen, you drive all the way through Mexico, all the way to the bottom tip of Mexico. That's 24 hours from the time you started driving all the way to the bottom tip of Mexico. Okay, and that doesn't include the borders, because the borders, you can get to the border of Mexico with the U.S., and we have been there sometimes, and been across in three hours, and sometimes you get across in three days. You just don't know how long they're going to take to get your papers through and get you across. But once you get in the lineup, you can't get out. Because if you get out of the lineup, you lose your turn and you go all the way to the back. So sometimes the lineup is three miles long, three or four miles long, and all these trucks are waiting to get into Mexico, and you just have to wait and take your turn, and as you get up there, you can finally get through and drive all the way through to the other side. Once you get to the bottom end, you get to Guatemala. Guatemala takes about six hours to drive across, and then you get back out of Guatemala, and you go into El Salvador. And El Salvador will take you probably about three and a half hours to get from the border to our house where we live in San Salvador. The country of El Salvador has approximately about 6.5 million people in it, and we're roughly the size of the state of Massachusetts. So that will give you a little idea of the size of El Salvador. It's not very big. It's called by the uh, Central American people, it's called the Pulgarcito of Central America, which means the little thumb. It's just, just the little one. And uh, that's what we are down there, just a small little country, but we have seen God's hand of work uh, throughout the years that we have been there. We uh, went down in 1992 with my wife. We were working first in a place called Usulutan. There's a little assembly in Usulutan there today. Then we were taking over to another place that's called Santa Tecla. And we worked there for a while, a couple of years. And there's a little assembly there today. And uh, now we're working in a place called Rosario. 
just uh, while we were working in Rosario, uh, we also started another work which is over in Guatayagua. I'll tell you just a little bit about the work that's going on right now in Guatayagua. It's the newest work we've got. It's not, uh, there's not an assembly yet. But we went to a place called Chapeltique and we started preaching the gospel in Chapeltique. And um, usually when we go with our texts and, and uh, the loudspeakers, because we've got loudspeakers on top of our cars, we go through the areas and we're announcing that we're coming, that we're going to have meetings. And usually the people uh, start coming together and want to find out what it's all about and a little bit of interest and, and you'll get a good number to the gospel meetings. Well, there in Chapeltique we went for about two and a half weeks and we didn't see much happening. And it was kind of strange because that's not the typical for our work that we do down there. So one of the people that was there, uh, there that was uh, with us, they said, well, why don't we go to Guatayagua? I said, where's Guatayagua? They said, oh, it's about another 45 minutes up the road from here. And I said, well, what's the road like? And they said, it's a dirt road. It's just uh, all, all dirt, all the way up there. So we said, okay, we'll take the vans. And anybody wants to go up to Guatayagua, we'll take some uh, text, some of the seed sword text, and, and we'll go completely canvas the town of Guatayagua. And we were going to do it in one afternoon. Well, we got up there about noon. We kind of divided the town up and got the vans distributed so each one knew where they were going. They got into groups and started going out and giving out the text. And the interesting thing was, was you get to one house and the first thing, well, come on in. And, and uh, once you got sat down, well, now what are you in the town for? What have you guys come for? You know, so, well, we're giving out these gospel texts. Oh, you're Christians, yeah. Oh, well, when are you going to have meetings? Well, we don't have meetings, but we just come to give out texts. Well, we'd like you to have some meetings here. Well, uh, how much interest is it? Well, you get from house to house and, and everybody's asking. So we decided, well, we'll have to pray about it and see how the Lord opens up to maybe come up to Guatayagua and have some meetings there. So the Christians in San Miguel uh, helped and they were able to find a place there in Guatayagua. We rented it and uh, we started having our gospel meetings right there in the town of Guatayagua and had a good number come in in the little room that we rented. It only holds about maybe about 40 people sitting and then about 20 people standing. So it's very tight quarters, but uh, that's where we started and the building started filling up. We had so many people, we didn't have places for them to sit and um, we went for about six months. In the first six months, there was uh, five that professed to be saved in those meetings. And we could see that the Lord was starting to work there in that town of Guatayagua. So we decided to go ahead and try and purchase a piece of property as we could no longer fit where we were and uh, peace opened up just about uh, it was oh maybe uh, four blocks from where the where the place was that we had rented and so we went down and got some of the Christians together and some uh, let the word out up here there was a few that were able to come down uh, and help us with the building of the new building in Guatayagua and uh it was kind of interesting when we started building there. We had uh, the title of the purchase of the property. And on the title it said that uh, the property came with um, electricity and running water. So we thought, well, at least we got water and we got light. That's, you know, we can do the rest from there. There's no uh, sewage system there, so we'd have to build our own sewage system. But well, at least we had light and water. 
Well, we found out that the light was true because the light post, there's a light that came on each night. But our water problem is uh, we went to the spigot and opened it up and first day we're about ready to mix cement and no water. And uh, so we started looking around and asking other people, no, we don't get any water. Well, we waited till the second day and still no water. And, and we were you know, trying to get ready to get going and go ahead. And finally we decided, well, what we'll have to do is, is go to the owner and ask, you know, what's wrong? No, he says, all the piping's in, I'm sure. He says, you've got to go talk to the mayor of the town to find out you know, why you don't have any water. So off we went to the mayor's office to ask him why we don't have water. And he said, you know, he says, water comes on. All the time, he says, it's on three times a week. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. He says, and in your area, it's on from four in the morning to six. So that's the time you've got to get your water. And so, well, sure enough, once we got out there and four in the morning, started opening up the spigots there, all of a sudden you could hear the air coming out of the pipes because that's what comes out first. And then all of a sudden it uh, starts gurgling a little bit and you hear the water coming. And sure enough, right about 4, 4.15, all this water starts piling out of our pipes. So we had to go around and get all these tubs, any tubs that we could find, to fill water up to hold the water be, to be able to make our cement and, and start working on the building. Well, then we had to actually buy a, I think it was like a 300-gallon tank to try and help us because all the containers we had weren't enough for making two or three batches of cement. So we had to get a container, and uh, that's the way we have, and that's the way it is till today. If you want water in Guatayagua, 4 to 6 in the morning, you can take a shower, no problems. After that, you've got to do it with a bucket. So uh, that's where we started. We started building the hall. We got the Christians together and uh, we helped them with all the materials that need to be purchased and they do all the labor of the building. So the Christians volunteer. They say, you know, I can come for a week or I can come for two weeks. I'm an electrician or I'm a, a, a one that works with the plumbing or I'm a bricklayer or whatever. And so they all come together and we try to take it advantage of as many of them as we can, uh, putting them all to work and the different projects that we have. There is usually... When we're doing a construction throughout the whole process, we'll usually have about 25 men on the crew. And that's all the way from morning to supper. So we start usually 6 in the morning, and we usually finish up 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, and usually have a meeting after that to be able to uh, have a word with the unsaved that are living in the area there. So we uh, were able to work on the hall throughout the day, and in uh, the hall in Guatayagua, we were able to see it completely finished in about four and a half weeks. Now that's really fast for us down there because normally it takes a lot of time to get all the materials together and, and then get everybody organized enough to get it going. Well, this year we were able to, actually when they were still building the foundation, we were already welding together the beams that went into the top of the roof. So we were trying to put it, pull it all together so that when the building finally came together, it would all come together at the same time. And we were thankful to the Lord that he helped and we saw his his blessing. Oh, two days after we finished up the building of the hall, we started our seed sowers. And uh, we have a lot of kids that were real interested in coming. Of course, 
the first time that the gospel is preached there in the hall, the kids all want to know what it's all about. And uh, one of the things, I don't know why, but the kids always see the baptistry. And they wonder what the baptistry, who we're going to drown in the baptistry. And I said, no, it's, it's not for drowning anybody, it's for baptizing. Well, kids have never seen a baptistry, and they can't figure out how you're going to put someone underwater and, 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 and keep them underwater and then, and then bring them back up again. So they were all excited about coming to see what it was all about. We usually have our, our uh, children's uh, meeting in the morning, and then we have our gospel meeting at night. So from 10 to 11.30 in the morning, we have our, our, um, our children's work, and usually with about 20 or 30 young people who's ever there to help, they go out in the morning and they go house to house looking for kids. And once they get the group together, they bring them back in. Some of them go a little farther away. Some of them go to the outskirts of the town, and that's almost three kilometers away how far they have to walk to get the kids. Well, once they get their groups together, we come out with the buses and the vans, and we pick the ones out that live farthest away and bring them back to the meetings. The, this year, I think it was our biggest outreach that we've ever had with the children. We had 250 children in the new hall there in Guatayagua, speaking to them about the stories of the Bible. And that was real encouraging. We went on for three and a half weeks every night during the, the day with the kids and at night with the older ones that would come in. And uh, it was very uh, exciting to see their interest in hearing the gospel. One of the things that the kids that left lived a, lived a little bit farther away, we would provide transportation. If you lived you know, two or three blocks, well, you had to walk home with the person that had brought you, the older person that was taking care of your group. But if you lived two or three kilometers away, well, we would provide the transportation. And the kids always trying to get into the van, they just pile in. You get in the back seat and you get the first line all set down and then you get another line and they're set on top of their knees and then you put another third line and they're set on top of their their knees. So it's three high on each seat of a 15 passenger van. Plus on front of that you got the people standing in front of them on the floor and down the sides and uh, it was funny one of the days that we were out dropping off I knew there was a lot of kids on the van and because that day when they tried to close the door, the door wouldn't close and they they were pushing from the outside, trying to get the door closed. And you could hear the kids on the inside kind of squealing a little bit because they were getting squeezed from the door trying to get the lock to, to close on the van. So I told them, well, I said, you better find out. Just Let's check, just see how many people in the van. So the boy that was helping me with the doors, he jumped out and he was counting them as they were coming out. We didn't try to count them while they were in there because we wouldn't have counted right. He was counting them as they are coming out and we got all the way back to... Finally dropped the last ones off and, and I said, well, how many were in the van? And he said, I counted 65. So, uh, and they all had seatbelts on too. So we were, we were very safe in there. But, uh, we thank the Lord that He gave His help and, and, uh, that the children came and heard the word. One of the stories that they were telling, uh, one of the young boys that was have in charge of the Sunday school, he, he was telling the story about Nathan. 
Oh, excuse me, not Nathan, Naaman. And how Naaman had to go to the Jordan. He had to dip seven times. Well, some of the kids were getting a little restless up in the front. So he decided, well, he'd put a little more dramatical. And since we had our baptistry in the back, and uh, we always keep it full of water all the time because it's the only place that you can get water from during the day to wash the floors. And if you got uh, 250 kids in the morning and you got 160 or 170 adults at night, you got to use all the water you can get for all the needs so we usually keep the baptistry all the way up to the top as far as we can well the brother that was teaching he looked at another young brother and he was sitting over on a chair and he said uh, uh he says come here he says uh he says i need naaman to to come here and dip in the in the river jordan seven times and the brother looks at him and you know he just just points at him he's just sitting there and he says come here come here he says come on up here so the brother come up and he said, you aren't really going to do this, are you? And he said, yeah. He said, no. He said, yeah. And uh, he said, take your wallet out. So he pulled his wallet out. He said, take your shoes off. And he took his shoes off. And then poor Naaman, he had to go all the way down inside the baptistry. And there he was, dipping seven times underneath the water. And glad uh, good thing on the seventh time he came up clean and his leprosy was gone. But we try and illustrate a little bit to him to help the kids to understand. We've got to remember, we got little kids there all the way from six, five and six years old up to about 15, 16 years and so we try and help them to understand some of the Bible stories. And we had a real interesting time with them. And then in the evening we had our gospel meetings and there was a good number saved. At the end of those gospel meetings we finished up uh, at three and a half weeks and there was, um, I think there was a total of 12 that professed to be saved. Uh, Dad was there helping us during those meetings that we had. We appreciated his help down there at that time. And uh, we really could see the hand of the Lord working. The last night of the, of the meetings, we had a baptism. And at the baptism, there was nine believers from the Guatayagua area that wanted to obey their Lord in baptism. You've got to remember, the hall is packed full of people. Probably over 200 people the last night of our meeting. We were having the baptisms and all these people came in to observe these Christians who had received Christ as their Savior and willing to obey their Lord in baptism. And it was a real uh, eye-opener to a lot of the people from the town of people whose lives are being changed and what Christ can do and the new life that He offers. And so we would ask you to pray for Guatayagua. Um, there's not an assembly there yet. We have just been working there just a little over two years now. So it's, the work is very new. But we do look to the Lord that He and His goodwill, we will see an assembly established there in the soon future. Where some of the ones that went down the last time were with us down there. We were in El Carmen. We built a hall in El Carmen. This is going back to 2009. The believers there have continued on. And uh, I received an email since coming up here. And they have come to the agreement that the assembly will be established probably in January or February when we arrive back in El Salvador. So we got a real uh, something exciting to look forward to when we get back. This will be the 20th assembly in El Salvador and we just pray that his blessing will be upon this new group of people. There's approximately going to be about 35 in the little assembly in El Carmen. 
And they've seen a lot of blessing lately. They've gone through a lot of turmoil. One of the uh, hardships the assembly or the Christians there went through is the main road that goes right beside the hall is the Pan American Highway. If you look out the the do- out the front window of the hall or the side window of the hall, you can see the main road. Our property is against the main highway. And so all these trucks and trailers that go all the way from Mexico all the way down to South America, that's the road they take. A lot of heavy trucks on it. And so we try to be very careful with the children because you've got to remember we take them across the road to the other side to get them to their to their homes after the class. And then when we bring them, we've got to take them across this road as well. We try and keep them in groups. We get them to hold hands. We try and do everything we can to keep these children all together. Um, just uh, about it'd be about a year and a half ago now, um, the group was together. They were taking them home after the uh, Sunday school session, the children's session that they had. It was on a Saturday, and they came to the road. And one of the little boys walked oh maybe about fifty feet up ahead, and he was still on the side of the road. He wasn't on the road at all, but he had gone ahead of the group. And the girl that was supposed to be in charge of the group, she yelled at him because it was her brother. And she said, you've got to get back with the group. He said, no. He says, I'm just waiting here until it's ready to go across. And then you'll be here and we'll all go across together. He just walked ahead a little bit. Well, little did they know that a little car uh, truck came around the corner. He lost control almost beside where the group was and ended up going into the side of the road, hit into the little boy that was standing there on the side of the road and killed him instantly, right in front of both sisters watching from either side of the road of what was happening. And the little boy was only nine years old and his dad and mom are very faithful uh, believers there in the work in El Carmen. And uh, a lot of prayer went up for them. We had to go and buy the coffin. Everything's done by yourself down there. You don't like go to the funeral home. There is no funeral homes in that area. So you go out and buy the the coffin. You get the right size. They measured the boy up. They told me how big to buy the coffin. We bought the coffin, took it out to him, and then fixed the boy up, placed his body into the coffin, and then took it to the hall. And once we get the coffin to the hall, then they have a wake service. It takes 24 hours before the time of burial. So from the time of death to the time of burial, you have 24 hours. And so we had our wake service right throughout the night. We stayed there right with the family throughout the whole night there at the hall. And then the next day, it was about uh, noon that we went to the cemetery and buried the little boy. But uh, it was very hard on the family. And uh, the devil uses everything he can to try and take away your desire and 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 in uh, a new work that's, that's seeming to just take off and and then he, something like that comes it's very hard on the work but um, we thank the Lord for the believers there and they came together and they gave support to the family that was there and helped them and and uh, have cared for them and and prayed with them and uh, the believers have continued on and as I say, this is the area where we look to see a new assembly in El Carmen in January or February when we get back. The other thing we'd like to mention, we do have three national workers down there. 
I'd like you to write their names down if you could, because that way you'll remember them in prayer. If I just tell you, and uh, you'll just uh, kind of go right over your head, but if you write it down, uh, that way you'll be able to pray for them more specifically. Their names are Brother Raul, and uh, that's Raul Aguirre, and I would ask you to pray for him. And then there's also Brother Antonio. Antonio, and uh, his wife is called Edith. It's Antonio and Edith. Raul and Antonio are both from San Miguel, and they both work in the eastern part of the country. And uh, they both do a very good work uh, in evangelizing. Uh, Brother Raul is excellent in preaching the gospel. Uh, he's a very faithful minister of the gospel. And then uh, Brother Antonio, also, his, I can see his strong point is visiting homes. And he has a very special uh, way to get into homes and open up the scriptures and speak to those that are there about the Savior. And uh, he has a real special gift of being able to evangelize personally in the homes. And then the third brother that is down there is called Brother Carlos. Carlos, that's C-A-R-L-O-S, Carlos. And he's uh, in the uh, western part of the country, and his wife's name is Ines, I-N-E-S, Ines. And uh, they're working in the western part. Brother uh, Carlos, uh, his wife was a teacher, and so she has certain opportunities to get into the schools and talk to the schools. Well, Brother Carlos, through her, has gotten an opening into the schools to be able to take the uh, the uh, gospel to the children and he gives it to them like a class in school and they'll call brother Carlos like a teacher to come in and give a class to the children and it's through his wife that he's gotten this opportunity to do it but he takes real good advantage of it every morning if you call him anywhere between 9 and 11 in the morning he won't answer his phone because you know he's in giving class to the kids at the school and uh, teaching them the ways of salvation mainly going through the gospels he usually starts in Matthew finishes up in the gospel of John and goes through the gospels with the children so that they can know the ways of salvation. It's a real opportunity that he's had. We recently, our president, who is Mauricio Funes, uh, the Congress came to an agreement that with so much violence in the country that there is, there's 18,000 gang members in El Salvador that are on the loose, not the ones in jail. We have probably just about as many in jail right now. But there's 18,000 on the loose, and they're fighting against themselves. Like there's two main gangs, one's the Mara Salvatrucha and the other is the Diciocho, the gang 18, and they both clash. And they're trying to gain territory and they try to gain people that would be part of their gang. And, and they're very strong, they've got a lot of weapons. And uh, these gangs fight against themselves. On a daily basis, there's about 14 people killed every day in El Salvador. 14 homicides a day. And it's all between the gangs. It's not outside. It's not, well, there's a little bit of, of criminals down there yet, but that's not where our big focus is. The big problems is the gangs. And so we pray, ask you to pray for the safety of the believers, of the works that are going on down there. Up till now, amongst all the violence that there has been, we have had no problem in preaching the gospel. Our buses all have the signs on. We have 12 buses running down there all the time picking up people to take them to meetings and that they could come and hear the gospel and they're all well identified. Our halls are well 
identified and up till now none of them have uh, touched with the God with, with come into conflict with the work that we are doing but we just ask you to keep praying that the Lord's hand will continue to be upon us and that we will continue to have full liberty to get the gospel out and I'm not saying we, we don't have problems there's now one lady that comes to meeting uh, her name's Roxana she brought a neighbor with her a boy probably 15 and she brought him to the meetings and he came to the meetings in Rosario where we've been working he came maybe about oh maybe 12 or 13 14 times maybe to the gospel meetings one night he's in his home one o'clock in the morning men come along bang the door down walk into his house six gunshots one right after the other right right at him he survived he lived he didn't die and they took him to the hospital he had one right in his head and they took him to the hospital and he's now uh, out of um, the intensive care and the first thing he wants to know he says where's Roxana he says I've got to talk to Roxana the ones that brought me to the meeting where's my Bible I want to read my Bible if there's anything that would ever awaken someone to, to their soul is that coming that close to death and still not having Christ as their Savior. And he started searching. Up till now, I haven't heard that he's gotten saved yet. But we're still praying for him, even while we're up here, that the Lord will use a means that would be able to awaken him, and that he would be able to be saved while there is still uh, time. And so we have the, these gangs down there. We just pray that the Lord's protection would be over us. Um, the government of El Salvador, the president, uh, the Congress actually came to an agreement that they wanted to uh, bring the Bible back into the schools. And we were so excited because to read the Bible in the school, that's a great opportunity and something that they have never done for 40 years that we have been in El Salvador. We have never seen the Bible read in school. And so we thought, wow, you know, they're thinking finally, you know, Congress is finally putting their head on right and then they're going to come up with something that's going to be very positive for the school. There wasn't going to be anybody that was going to come and, and, and preach. It was just the reading of Scripture. And they thought with all the violence there is in El Salvador, this is what we need to try and correct it. That they read the Bible in the school. We start with the kids. So uh, we thought, you know, it's all in the papers that this is what... And they voted on it. It went through Congress. The Congress came out over 90% voted um, in favor of reading the Bible in schools again. 90%. The legislature went up to the presidential's office where he had to finally give the final vote. Everybody thought it was going through. And we waited a couple weeks and nothing happened. Waited a couple more weeks and nothing happened. Well, the president has revoked the, the decision of reading the Bibles in the school. You say, well, why would that be? The Catholic Church. The priests of the Catholic Church will not allow the Bible to be read without one of their people being there to interpret. They said you, no, nobody, especially children, would never be able to understand the Bible if they didn't have someone interpret it to them. And so, of course, that's their way of saying, we really don't want you to read the Bible. Well, they, the president didn't vote on it. It's still in Congress. It could go through any time. But we think that it's actually done more damage for the Catholic Church than good because the people are now asking the priest, well, why can't we read the Bible? 
What's wrong with it? What's in the Bible that you don't want us to read? And they're starting to ask a lot of questions. And they ask us questions. And of course we tell them there's things in the Bible that they don't want you to read. Because if they, if you knew what was in the Bible, it would put them out of business. And so you can pray for some of these things that are coming up in El Salvador. Issues that come up in the government. Uh, the political side of things in El Salvador. We just ask you to pray for us and the work that continues to go on there. So we'll just close with a word of prayer.